Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, as I was going over stuff this morning and looking at some things, I'm like, man, we've been in Luke for a long time. <laughs> but I preached other messages all in between, so if I, I was figuring out if I had preached consistently through the book of Luke, we might have been at chapter, I don't know, 12 or 13. <laughs> But we've pre- I've preached other messages in between all of this, so let's look. Today we're going to look at the wise and the foolish, the wise and the foolish man. And beginning in verse 39 of Luke chapter 6, we read this. And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart is his mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to him who he is like. He is like a man which built an house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, arose, the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not, it is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that we would take what we hear and apply it to our lives. I pray, Lord, that we are wise and not foolish. Work in the hearts of those here according to your will and purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we find here, we find that Jesus Christ is now beginning to, he's going to give these people a parable. And he's been, if you look, it's the same people that were in the previous verses as he's been talking to them. The disciples and many others have joined. And now he's going to speak a parable unto those that are present. And he asks a very simple question. He asks the question, can the blind lead the blind? No. I'm just going to say it, no. Uh, they're both going to fall into a ditch. Uh, they're either going to run into walls, they're going to do something. So a blind person can't lead a blind person. But that's not really what he's trying to convey here, okay? He's trying to convey the fact that there were religious people present also. And so when we get into this, we're going to look at some things. The blind person can't ever lead a blind person because they're both going to wind up being lost, okay? They're going to just keep wandering around, not knowing where they're going, and they're, they're going to need someone that can actually see lead them by the hand to where they need to go. And Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 16, we read this. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. 
Well, that goes along with the blind leading the blind. These prophets that we read about here in Isaiah, these ones that have been leading the people, are causing the people to err. And at the same time, the prophet that teacheth lies, you could even go further down. Well, you can go one verse up. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. So he's saying here in Luke, the blind leading the blind, they're both going to fall into the ditch. And those leaders that are teaching lies and hypocrisies and those things, they're going to destroy the people that they're actually teaching and preaching to. They're going to cause them to err. They're going to cause them to go down the wrong path. I mean, we see that in the world today. We have leaders, not only in pulpits, but in the world as a whole, that are leading people down the road to destruction. They're not leading them down the path to where everything's going to be great. It's going to get worse. And that's why when we stand here in this pulpit and when I stand here and Pastor Rose stands in this pulpit, we try to, by God's grace, preach the truth of the Word of God. Because I do not want to lead you down the path of destruction. I don't want to lead you down the path of error or heresy. Okay? Pastor Rose and I have talked multiple times over. Our whole focus and responsibility is to teach and preach the whole counsel of God. And we don't take it lightly. Every man of God that is called to preach should never take preaching the word of God lightheartedly. It is a grave responsibility put upon them to make sure that they don't err in their preaching. And so when he's telling them here, he says, you have religious leaders also that they are blind to spirituality and they are leading the blind spiritually continuously down that road of blind spirituality. They're not leading them to the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. They're keeping them enslaved in their religiosity. That's what everybody wants. You know, if we keep people blinded in their religiosity, we have power. The whole focus of the gospel is to free man so not one person just has power, but that everyone has the free ability and the power of Christ resting upon them to do what God has called them to do. In Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, in verse 16, I'm turning the fan on again. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 16, Christ, this whole chapter is about Christ going after the Pharisees. But notice what he says unto them, woe unto ye blind guides. Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. Notice verse 17, ye fools and blind. Keep going down, verse 19, ye fools and blind. He says it to them three times that they are blind. They are blind spiritually. They don't, they are so wrapped up in maintaining and holding to their law. If they were heeding God's law, what does the law of God do? It points man to Jesus Christ. But because the Pharisees had created their own laws to appease themselves, their law was not leading people to Jesus. All it was doing was enslaving those to continually down the path of holding to a law that was to point men to Jesus Christ. But it was doing the exact opposite. It was keeping them enslaved 
that they had to keep working and keep sacrificing and all these different things when Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, to fulfill it. So he tells these Pharisees over and over again, you're blind, you're blind, you're blind. Now, most of us today, especially myself, I try to have some tact when I'm talking to people that are totally heretical. I I really do. But there are those times when the flesh just kind of wants to go, you know, you want to do one of those things. That how can you believe this when the Bible says directly the opposite? How can you believe that? But we have to, by God's grace, not do that. We have to... I don't know how Christ... I mean, Christ called out the Pharisees, I don't know how many times. You're blind, you're hypocrites, you're a bunch of... You know, you have this, but don't have this. You're white at sepulchers, you're full of dead men's bones. I mean, that's pretty harsh language. If anything, that's super offensive. But in our politically correct world, we can't say those things. Now, what if we called it as it was? You're a bunch of heathens. And without Christ, you're going to hell. But we have to be politically correct. Christ never was politically correct. I'm sorry. He, he, never, he never held anything back. He just told it how it was, and I'm thankful that he did so. Amen. If we could be more like that, we'd be more like Christ we'd probably offend a lot more people and we'd have more enemies we'd have way more enemies than what we have I'm sorry folks but the people that you work with that you come into contact with they're not your friends in all reality if they don't know God they are enemies of God and they are also your enemies they are not your friends That's just a side note. Verse 40, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. You're like, why is this in there? Why did Christ say this? Well, contrasting it to what the previous verse is about. He's saying the blind, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? And then he says the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. He's referring to himself as being the master. And those disciples, those servants that follow him, one day will be as he is. That's what our Bible says. Go with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. If you're saved here this morning, he is your master. Amen. And you are his servant. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. Aren't you glad it says, we know. We know that when he shall appear, we, our master, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be like our master. We will be perfect like our master is perfect. Total, completely. We'll have the glorified bodies. We'll have, we will be like him. That should excite us. 
as I get older and uh, I'm getting older, but as I get older and I grow more mature in my Christian walk, I begin to look and I say, you know, as much as I don't know what heaven's going to all be like, man, I wish I just this all be over with. You say, well, we got a lot of life left to live. Yeah, we do until the Lord takes us out of here. But there are those days that it's just like, let it be over. Let's just get this thing over with. And then there's other days that you're like, Lord, there's too much to do. Wait. Hold off. There's too much still to do. Just hold off just a little bit longer. There's people that still need to be saved. They're my coworkers. They need to know you as the Lord and Savior. My family members, they need to know you. All those different things. And then there's that next day that flops around. You're like, oh, quickly come Lord Jesus. That's just how it is. But we shall be like him. What a wonderful promise. This isn't something that he's just saying to say. He's saying this will be this way. Oh, we long for that day. Verse 41. The moat versus the beam. The moat versus the beam. Why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Did you know that the moat and the beam are two different things? They are two separate things. A moat, I had to look this up because it's an old English word, but you know what it means? A speck of dust. You know what a beam is? A beam. I mean, there's no other word. There's no other. It's a beam. It's like a big old wooden beam stuck in your eye. And that's what it would be like. And that's what he says there. He says, you're so concerned about the little speck. And you're not worried about the beam that's in your own eye. We are quick to judge on the little sin. And we're forgetting about the bigger sin that's in our own life. We are always judging others. Oh, you know, you remember the Pharisees when they came up and Jesus' disciples hadn't washed their hands? They didn't wash their hands before they ate. Okay. How many people, while they were out in the desert, cooking food over a campfire, they go, oh, wait a minute. Okay, now we can eat. No, they didn't do that. But they were so worried, the Pharisees were so worried that they didn't wash their hands, they were forgetting their own bigger sin of hypocrisy. They were forgetting about that. So we're so concerned, people are so concerned about the little things and forgetting about the bigger thing that is in their own life. The speck of dirt, it is something so minor that he says here, you need to worry about yourself first. Notice it says there, either how canst thou say to thy brother, brother, this is like the self-righteous. Isn't it? I mean, how it's phrased here. Look how it's phrased here. He says here, how can you then go about saying, brother, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye. Can I pull this? Let me just help you out. We've got a little fleck right there. <laughs> I mean, that's how he's kind of saying this to them. How can you say that when you can't see it because you've got a big old beam in your own eye? How can you even notice other people's sin when you're not worried about your own? And that's the thing. There's too many self-righteous people out there that say, well, I'm better than that. It's by God's grace that you're not like that. Because we can read throughout all the epistles of Paul, and how many times does it come back and say to them, but such were some of you. 
He even himself says, I am the chiefest of sinners. So Paul never elevated himself above being better than everybody else. He recognized himself as being a sinner saved by grace. In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, in verse 21, Man, we could. I, man, I love the book of Romans. Maybe that be, might be another series sometime down the road. In verse 21, he says, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou not commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. He's talking to the Jews there, and he's saying, look, you guys say this, and you're condemning them over here, but you're no better than them over there because they're doing things ignorantly, but you know better. Because the oracles of God were given to you, not the Gentiles. So you're so worried about what they're doing over here, you're forgetting about yourself. You need to, doesn't the Bible say somewhere where it says that judgment must begin at the house of God? So we need to look within ourselves and have the Holy Spirit convict us and we go before a holy God and say, I'm wrong. I need, Lord, you need to fix this. I can't. But even then, when you get fixed, when God takes care of that sin in your life, you realize that's not that big of a deal. I made a mountain out of a molehill. That really, uh, man, I don't know why I was so consumed by that person's problem and sin that they had in their life that when I got rid of mine, that's nothing. But see, it's interesting. He's not just talking to those that are around about him. He's also talking to his disciples. He's warning them to be careful that they don't become like others. Be careful is what he's telling them. Don't let... Just because, you know, because they could, they could have the ability, those that were with him, especially the 12, they could have the very ability to be the ones that would rise above and says, we are followers of Christ, we're in his inner circle. And Peter, James, and John could even go on a step further and says, we're the three in the inner circle. We're better than you. Right? They could have had that attitude. But Christ is warning them here, don't get that way. Don't start judging people just because you're over here with me as the 12. Because we can get that way, can we not? A church that's small and all, you know, we can get like, oh, we're better than that church over there. Or we're better than that one over there. It's not that we're better. It's that there's a lot of churches that have stopped preaching the King James Bible. So we are one up. Because we're preaching the truth of the Word of God from the preserved Word of God. Amen. I don't judge them. God does that according to His Word. God does that. In the end, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says those that are saved, we're all going to give an account of our own actions, not of others. I'm not, the only thing with a pastor is that he's going to answer for how he preached and teached or taught 
in <laughs> preached and teached, preached and taught in his church. Not in other churches. I don't need to worry about the pastors that are in this church or the priests over there. I don't that I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for them. If the only account that God is going to hold me to is if I've given them the gospel. I'd love to preach in a Catholic church. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> I've preached in a Methodist church. I preached. I was asked to come and preach in a Methodist, and I almost took the position and changed it over to a Baptist church, but the Methodist committee said no. That's okay. They got the gospel for the first the four weeks that I was there, because they believe in baptism and works salvation, and I preached the gospel every single Sunday. Be careful. You say, well, is there an example of this? Go with me to 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. Here's the biggest example that I could find as I was studying this out of someone with a beam in his own eye that was worried about a speck. Well, that's not going to work. That's 1 Samuel. So 2 Samuel chapter 12. In verse 5, we know the story that is related here by Nathan. He's telling Nathan, uh, telling King David about a man who the poor man had nothing in verse 3, save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared the spared to take the, from, of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And then here, here's where we're at. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that thou hast done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. See, and this is even, if you would, Nathan's just telling a story. But made it applicable to David. He says, you're worried about a speck when you're the one with the beam. You're the one with the beam. And his beam was a big one. His beam started with not going to war. And then killing Uriah. Uh, sleeping with Bathsheba and then killing Uriah. And, it, and then he went nine months without getting it confessed. That's pretty rough. That's a pretty big beam to get out of his eye. Aren't you thankful, though, that once we go to the Lord and ask him to forgive us, he does it? We confess it, he forgives it, we move on. The beam doesn't grow, it doesn't get bigger. I mean, we've removed it. Now, we may have to go back occasionally because that beam wants to start again. I mean, it just happens. Notice what he says here as he closes this out. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So he says, if you remove the mote, if you confess your sin, get it right with me, if you would, then when you begin to look at others, you're going to see them in a different light. Because you know what happens? I mean, this is just me, but I'm reading this, and he's saying what happens here is that people, when they have sin in their life, 
You know what they tend to do? And they know that they're guilty. You know what they tend to do? Pass the blame to find a harsher sin than they have. They, because they're so wrapped with guilt, they've got to find someone else to put it off on, to divert attention away from their own guilt and the conviction that they're going through. So, hey, if I can find somebody else to help me with my guilt and make sure that they look more guilty than myself, I'll do it. But Christ says, once you get it taken care of, you'll see more clearly. And then the speck is just a speck. It's not, I don't have a right to remove the speck out of your eye. And you don't have the right to remove the speck out of my eye. God does. God does. Let's look at good versus corrupt. Good versus corrupt. All this is pertaining to wise and foolish. You say, well, how does it, the moat and the beam, you're foolish if you think you can pull the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye. That's foolish. The wise thing to do would be to confess it, have the beam removed so you can see clearly. So good versus, good versus corrupt. Let's look at verse 43. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. That's good horticulture, right? That's good husbandry. You know, this is what happens. He's saying here, you got a good tree and it brings it bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. That's what he says there. Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Meaning this, you don't take an apple, and we know this, that if you take a bad apple, hoping that if you throw it into a bucket of good apples, that all the good apples will outrain that bad apple and make it good. That is not how that works. If somebody believes that can happen, they're fools. Because that bad apple will corrupt the good basket. It will. And let's now draw it up into today. As a saved person, we have no right, no right as a believer, to mix company with unbelievers hoping that we will win them. Because they will more likely influence us than we will influence them. I've seen it happen. You say, well, what we do, what we do with fellowshipping is fellowship with the brethren. That's what they did in the New Testament. Did they not? They fellowship with the brethren all the time. You rarely find them. In the cases that you find them with unbelievers, it is preaching, preaching, preaching. Jesus Christ... I know he, we find in the, New Te- in the Gospels that he talked and, and, and ate with sinners and publicans. But what was the focus? It wasn't to hang out with them and be partying with them and, and just be all like one of the guys. He was there to win them to himself. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what he said he was come to do. He did not come to be, I saw this flyer the other day, or what was it? I, an article I read where it says, Jesus Christ is my homie. I'm like, Jesus Christ is your homie? You're not saved. Jesus Christ is my master. He is my Lord. He does not deserve to be denigrated down to the level of being one of us. 
Good tree, good fruit, corrupt tree, corrupt fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. If you plant an apple seed into a, the ground and up comes a peach tree, something went wrong. Okay, let's just, let's just think about that. Perhaps the peach seed was under or over it. I don't know, but I'm just saying, if you get a peach tree, you've got a bad seed. He says here, for every tree is known by his own fruit. For the thorns, men do not gather figs. He says, men don't gather figs in a bunch of thorns, in a thorn bush. Where do figs grow? Trees. Figs grow in trees. And then he says, grapes aren't finding found in a bramble bush. You're not going to be picking, th- grapes grow on vines. I lived in Germany for eight years. And the first village we lived in was surrounded by vineyards. Guess what grew on those vines? Grapes. Nothing else grew on them. They didn't put, you know, they didn't grow the vines and everything to get, you know, I don't know, pears. They wanted grapes, and so they grew grape vineyards. He says, let's just be wise here. Let's be logical here. If you plant this, this is what you're going to get. Over in the book of Galatians, it says, What a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So if you sow bad seed, you're going to reap bad. If you sow good, you're going to get good. That's just how it goes. So if we're constantly investing in bad things, the return is going to be bad. So how do we invest our lives for the cost of, cause of Christ. We invest in being here. We invest in ministering to others. We invest in all these different ministries that we're trying to put forth and have. Main Street Mania, Maranatha Baptist University Ministry Day. We're doing all these different things. What? Not for my gain, but for the cause of Christ. To further His gospel. To further His ministry. That's why we do these things. It's not for us to puff our, pat ourselves on the back like, look what we did. Because it's not about me. We wouldn't be doing anything that wasn't for Jesus. So he says here, For if thorns men do not gather figs, nor a bramble bush gather they grapes, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. Go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And verse 14. Well, let's drop down to, yeah, verse 14, 13. I hope I have the right verse. I do. I think. Uh, We'll go with it. Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and it broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall 
know them. So what he's saying here is like, look, every tree that bringeth forth, the biggest point is this, every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit, not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. The whole point of teaching and preaching for me is to bring forth good fruit. Not produce bad. I know some of the things that we've preached and I've taught throughout the three years that I've been here have been kind of challenging. Have been like, I never heard that before. Well, that's just me. But the whole point is to challenge you, to cause you to grow in Christ. To make it to where you actually say, you know what, I want to study that out a little bit more. And you begin to look through the Word of God to put everything together for yourself. Just because I said it, Paul, how many times did he preach stuff and all of a sudden the Bereans are like, oh, we're going to go check this out for ourselves. Okay, they did. They went and studied those things out and they found that they were so. The whole point is for you to grow. To bring, for you to come up and bring forth good fruit. I don't want you to produce bad fruit. I want you to produce good fruit. How is that going to happen? By what you hear, by what you listen to, by what you apply to your own life, and you go out and practice that. Tell others. Tell your family members. Tell this. You know, if your family members aren't in a good church, you're like, hey, you want to be in a good church? Now, they may live while, help them find a good church where they're at. If they're down in this area, hey, Marshall Baptist Church, good church to start with. Why shouldn't we proclaim that Marshall Baptist Church is a good church to be in? I'm the member. I'm a member. Why wouldn't I say that about our church? Why wouldn't you say that? If you say something different, then go find another church. Let's just be honest. He then gets down to the last part. The last part, the wise and the foolish. The wise and the foolish man. So as he said all of these things... Notice what he says here in verse 46. This verse that we're going to look at is the one that brought me to the point of conviction in my own life that I needed to be saved. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's pretty harsh. Especially if you're a Christian and all of a sudden that verse convicts you. And all of a sudden you realize that you're lost. Because you're not doing the things that he says. That something's missing. That you're just going through the motions. But he says it here because you know what he's trying to do here? Weed out. He's trying to weed out all those individuals that are following him. That are calling him Lord, Lord. And are just doing it verbally but not action-wise. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not the things which I say? I have said a lot, he says. You know, you look back over what he's preached to them. Even in Matthew, he preaches basically the same stuff there. In, in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, he preaches basically the same stuff to those individuals. And let me tell you something. He comes down to the very end and says this again. He says, if you are a wise person, this is what a wise person does. Number one, we find here, he says, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, he says, if you hear them and do them. Do them. There's a lot of people hearing 
but not enough doing. The Bible says over in the book of James, be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. A lot of people were hearing Jesus preach, but they weren't acting upon the preaching. He says, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a wise man, like a man which built an house and dig deep. So first and foremost, he heareth and doeth, and then he dig deep. He let it take root down in his life. He let it just soak in. He just let, let it stay surface. He let what he heard and began to do it, and he began to sink in deep into his heart and soul of who he was and into his spirit. He's like, okay, he's dig deep. Notice the next thing it says, and laid the foundation on a rock. Don't we sing the song, that rock is Jesus? Yes, he's the one. Yeah, we sing that song. We sing the solid rock. We sing all these songs. And then we sang, recently the choir sang, I'm standing on the solid rock. This rock here is the same word that's used when Jesus says that upon this rock I will build my church. He's saying here that that little, it's not a little bitty stone like Peter is called. The rock here in its description and in the Greek word, it is that of a rock slab or cliff face. Means that he digged it down so he hit it upon this rock, something that will not be moved. Whatever hits it, it won't move. He digged down. It, the Greek word is petra. It means a rock slab. So he says here, when they do that, and when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. It wasn't founded on him. If you would, it wasn't founded on the man that was doing the digging. It was founded on the one that he dug down deep in to get to, the rock face. He says, if you, uh, you'll be considered a wise man if you build your life on me. If you build your life on me, on the rock, you won't be moved. You won't be shaken. No matter what trials and tribulations may come, you will stand fast. How else do you think that Paul, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, could write Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, And having done all to stand, stand! He only could do that by being built on the rock, Jesus Christ. Couldn't have done it any other way. You and I, in the spiritual battle and warfare that we're in, we cannot stand unless we stand on the rock. Jesus Christ. We can't do it any other way. I can't stand on my merits. I can't stand on my degrees. I can't stand on his degrees. I can't stand on anyone's accomplishments because it's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ being our firm foundation and our rock. Grounded, settled, founded. We need all those things. Are we grounded on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we grounded in Him? We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, and that talks about no, building upon a foundation that no man has laid except Jesus Christ, and then we build on top of that. He is the foundation. If anything, it's interesting, when you read the Word of God, Jesus Christ is considered to be the foundation of this church here. You know, He's also the cornerstone. He's also the head. 
He's also the bridegroom. Amen. I mean, he's all these things to Marshall Baptist Church personally. And we would not be able to be called that if he wasn't all those things to this church. If there's a church out there that does not have Jesus Christ as the head, they are not a church. If they have an organization or something that is its head, therefore that is the head and not Jesus Christ. If a man is greater in their eyes than Jesus, he is that head and not Christ. It is not a church. So where do we liken ourselves? He says, notice what he says here in verse 49 in closing. He says this, but he that heareth and doeth not. So now we have a wise man and a foolish man. And he says, look, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to have. He says, look, notice it says there, a man that without a foundation built a house. He just said, yeah, that piece of land will do. And just set up a house. Kind of reminds me of the three little pigs story. Right? Hay, wood, brick. The first three, fools. Now, if you read the real story, so you have one that built hay, it got blown down. You read the one where he built wood because the other one ran to the wood house and he got blown down. And then all three of them, you know, they run, the two brothers run to the other brother who built his house out of brick, stone, rock, whatever. Did that house blow down? No, that guy, the wolf, was out of air. <laughs> he didn't have enough huff and puff in him to blow it down. But that is a picture of what we should be careful of and not building our lives on just earth or on another philosophy of man or a tradition of man or any of those things because what will happen is that it will not stand without foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream and beat. So he's saying here, the wise men of foolish. So imagine two guys coming up and they're building these two houses, one with built on a rock, the other one built on earth, same neighborhood. And they both get hit by the same trials and tribulations and all those different things. And this house stands firm and this one falls flat on its face. The Bible is very particular here in what it says, though. And the ruin of that house was great. It wasn't some minor thing. It, the Bible says it was great. Huge. Humongous, if you would. It was a great fall. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 18. Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. So here you got contrast of a wise and a foolish man right here in verse 18. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. In verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not, no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Wise and foolish. 
Those that stayed with the disciples in that church there, they could tell, but then some just didn't want to be a part of it, so they were foolish and went on their merry, merry way. Did they make it? They probably fell. We have, you know what this is also contrasting, I believe also, is the kingdom of God, true believers, and the kingdom of this world. These will live everlasting life. This system over here, the fools, it will be a great fall. A great fall. The religion of this world will all succumb to being not for nothing. Great fall. So where do we find ourselves? Let's look at James chapter 1, and we'll close with these verses. James chapter 1. In verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and brighteth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So we find here, James is also contrasting a foolish man and a wise man in different terms, but still basically the same thing. A wise man is someone who hears the word of God and does it, and a foolish man is one that hears the word and doesn't do anything about it. Because then he likens it to a guy who gets up in the morning, his hair's all disheveled, he's not kempt, he looks bad, he hasn't shaved, whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm good, and goes out the door. I mean, that's how it would be. Uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm, I get home and I look at myself and I'm like, I need a haircut. I felt unkempt. Although my hair was combed, it just felt unkempt. I said, I need, I, I need a cut, because it just looked bad. But it'd be like me going to the mirror. I'm like, oh, yeah, it looks great. And come to church without getting a haircut this morning. I would have felt really bad. I'll just be honest with you. But that's what the wise and foolish do. The wise man looks at himself. And the Bible says that he looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the word of God. He looks into the word of God and he sees himself as God sees him. And changes his ways. A foolish man will look into the law of God, look into the word of God, read it and go, eh, and go on his way. That's foolish. For Christians today, you know what the wise thing is to do? Have your nose in the book and let it work in you, a miraculous work. Let it change you. We're not, we have not yet attained, folks. We've still got a lot of learning to do. A lot of growing to do. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Simple question this morning. Super simple. Are you wise or foolish? And it applies in all aspects of life.